Hey, good morning, Northwest Church family. Uh, if you're here in the room, you realize I'm not. I, I'm recording this, and if you're at home, it probably feels like normal. It's a recording, but uh, I just wish so much that I could be with you. But right now, we're in quarantine. As you might know, my youngest, Kellen, got COVID a week ago. He's doing fine. He's doing great. It's been a really mild case. And at this point, none of the rest of us have got it. We're doing fine, but we've just been in quarantine and just being careful. So hopefully we just got a couple days left and then uh, we'll be back with you normal. But, uh, but so far, everybody's doing well and I've appreciated your prayers. So I'm, gonna, I'm recording this message early. It's an almost empty room except for Pastor Mark, who's 75 feet away from me. So we are uh, clear and safe in this room. And I, I'm excited to deliver this word for you this morning Even though it's recorded, I know God's going to move. So let's start with prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for how much you love us. I thank you for the word. Thank you that we can study it and not study a book, but learn you and who you are and what you have for us. Lord, I pray for the gathered church right now. Whether they're in the room, whether they're at home, Would you move through us? Would your spirit speak to us? Would you fill us? Would you challenge us? Would you draw us into you today? Would we leave this time together uh, with new convictions, new comfort, being reminded of who we are in you? Would you do all those things among us? Lord, we just thank you that you are working, you are alive, you are active, no matter what's happening around us. So we ask that you speak in this moment to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in a study in 1 Corinthians. If you want to open a Bible, open a device, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, we're going to jump in that, to that today. I appreciate uh, Pastor Mark and Steve pinch-hitting last week when I was short notice. I couldn't be here. And then the power went out, so they were double scrambling. So great job to the team. But we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and my opening idea is to run away. Not from this room, not from your seats. I know the kids already ran away down to Children's Church, but but to run away. Has anyone ever warned you to run away? An urgent warning, a warning because they care. That's our story today is is a warning to run away. This this happened to to, uh, Heather and I. I remember years ago, someone came along someone in the financial world, and they had this investment idea for us. They said, here's how it works. Uh, what you do, we, we had a house and a mortgage. They said, what you do is you get this new kind of mortgage. And this new kind of mortgage on your house, you pay a fraction. You pay no principal. That's the part you owe. You pay no principal, and you defer almost all of your interest. And you pay a monthly payment of almost nothing Because it's a deferred, you pay a minimum interest. And then you take all the money that you would have been putting on your mortgage payment and you invest it in this other way. And so basically, you took all the equity and all the payment and put it in this other investment. And so they're like, this is great, and people are making lots of money, and we're going, wow, okay, well, I suppose that sounds reasonable, and it's people we knew. And and so we ran the idea past Heather's uncle, who's a financial advisor, real sharp guy, and he flipped out. He was like, no, you cannot do this. You must not do this. He just flipped out. And he basically said, run away. Do not do this. And we were, we were kind of taken back. Like, well, I mean, this seemed 
reasonable enough. And, um, but he just said, you cannot take a secure investment like a home, take all the equity out of it and not pay any of it off and put it into something unsecure. He said, you're putting your whole family at risk. And we're like, okay, okay, okay. We believe you. We believe you. We ran away. We said, no, we're not doing that deal. Well, some other friends of ours did. They did do that deal. And I don't know if any of you were around in the year 2006, 7, 8, but something happened in our country. I don't know if any of you remember this, but we had the old, the housing bubble popped, right? And all of a sudden prices were, you know, home values were plummeting. People were walking away from mortgages. The banks had tons of, of uh, houses on their hands that people walked away from the mortgages and lost their mortgages. Total collapse. And our friends actually ended up having to go bankrupt, losing their house, moving in with their parents. Now they're doing fine today. They're doing well. They, they overcame it, but it was a huge trial, a huge struggle for them to overcome that whole thing. And, and, and the reason we didn't get into it was because someone said, run away, get away from this. I'm telling you it's dangerous. Even though we couldn't comprehend all the moving pieces, they said it is dangerous. Get away. And that's what we're going to find in our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that Paul is warning this church, run away. Get away from this. There is danger. So it's been a few weeks since we've been in chapter 10. The first half of chapter 10 has been Paul uh, describing how the saints of the past, God's people, Israel, how they failed. They failed in the wilderness, and they failed with idols, and they failed with grumbling. And he's saying, watch out so that you don't fail. Watch out. There's risk. There's danger. And then this passage, we're going to do chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. This passage really gets into what we're running away from. So let's take a look. Here's our main point today. Our main point is to flee from everything that takes your heart from Christ. Flee from everything that takes your heart from Christ. That's what we're going to see. So I want to read through the passage. We're going to be uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 14 through 22. So let me read it. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ, body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? There you go. The first point is to flee from idolatry. Did you hear the warning in there? Did you hear Paul say, run away, get away from this. There's danger. We're going to look at that. And the first thing he tells us is to flee. That's our first point. Flee from idolatry. Flee doesn't have the idea of a gentle stroll, 
casually walk away. It has the idea of run for your life. Something's on fire. Terrible things are about to happen. Run away from this kind of investment. Get away from it. Look in verse uh, 14. Flee from idolatry. This is a command. This is a command to flee. Now, what is idolatry? The word literally means a copy or an image. It's reflecting of something. It's worshiping something that's represented by an image that's representing something else. So we often think of idols as statues, figurines, and, and that's not far off. And so here, I'll show you a photo. Here is a temple that was in Corinth. And so this was called uh, the Temple of Apollo. And so this is a, something that the people that Paul's preaching to would have walked past all the time. In fact, some of them likely had attended things there, had gone to it. And so this Temple of Apollo, uh, it, there was idolatry there, meaning they would go to this temple and worship something that it was representing. There were images, there were statues, there were copies of the gods, Apollo, that they believed were represented there. And so the whole idea is not that they worship that statue, they worship that temple, that there was something behind it. That's what idolatry is, that you're worshiping an image, but it's representing something else. And so one thing, for instance, the temple of Apollo, they had the Delphic Oracle. Basically, you would go there and you would do certain procedures and rituals to get prophecy foretold or future foretold, things that you wanted to know would happen or someone to speak over your business. And so you go there, you'd worship this image, this representation with the idea that the God Apollo would speak to you, would help you. So you're worshiping a copy, you're worshiping a representative of something that you think is going to help you. And so that's why we got this in verse 14. Flee from idolatry. Flee from anything that you're worshiping that's representing something else. That's representing another God, another deity. And Paul says, run from this. Now we're going to come to how this looks in our culture today because you're thinking we don't do this, but let's just follow the follow the text through. The the first thing he's going to tell us is is why should we do this? Why do we flee from idolatry? Why do we flee from worshiping anything that's a copy? And it's this second point here is that flee because you are united to Christ. Paul's speaking to a church. He's speaking to the Corinthian church that he's founded. And he's saying, you flee from this other worship because you are united to Christ. Let's look at the next few verses here. We have this in verse uh, 15. Verses 15 through 17. He says, he says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. So the first thing is like, hey, I know you guys are smart. Think this through. Think this through. You guys are wise. You guys are smart. Let me tell you the reason why. Think this through. Look in verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So what we've got here, he's saying... I want you to think this through. Why would we flee from this idolatry, this worship of images and copies? He's first saying, because you're united to Christ. He takes a communion reference. He says, the blood 
and the body. He says the cup, the cup of blessing and the, the bread that we take. He's saying, don't you know how united we are to Christ? The word there, this is the, the word for the participate that we see there in, um, in verse 16. The cup that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation? It's the word where we get our word fellowship or sharing in. Saying when, when you come to Jesus Christ, you have said, you are Lord. You are the risen Lord. You are the risen Christ. I put my faith in you. You have died for my sins. I'm trusting you. And then he gave us a ritual meal. We're going to share it again today. A ritual meal to remember. And it's not just something, drink this cup, move on. He's saying, I want you to take this cup and this piece of bread and remember that you have become one with me. That I am yours, that you are a participant. You share in my blood that was shed for your sins that makes you pure. You share in my body that was given. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are one with me. And we do this over and over again. It's this deep participation, fellowship in who Jesus Christ is. So he's saying, you you can't take that somewhere else because you're one with him. I want to just look at the the uh, scripture uh, when Jesus institutes this meal by which we remember him by. I've got it here in uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, Jesus introduces this meal. And uh, I just want to look at some of the language he had with this thing. So Luke chapter 22 and he's with his disciples at a Passover meal. He's about to be betrayed. In Luke twenty two fourteen. it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I'm just amazed by that. He knows he's facing the cross. He knows what's coming. He says, I have looked forward to this moment. When I share this meal, the Passover meal, which celebrated God's deliverance, of Egypt in the past, which set up for the communion meal, which will point to his deliverance from sin and death for all future. He says, I've looked forward to this. This is what it's all about. My coming, my body, my blood, and I look forward to eating it with you and setting up this moment for the future. So verse 16, he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He knows this is a big deal. The next moment will be the fulfillment. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Wow. And so Paul's likening, he's, he's connecting us. He's saying Jesus earnestly desired this meal that pointed to his sacrificial death and resurrection. And when we come to that meal, it's not just an empty ritual. It's a ritual, a part of fellowship ritual where we continually are reminded who we are in Christ. You are his. You are forgiven in his blood. His body was given for you. You are now part of his body. Did you see that there in that next part? It's a participation. And then he goes, this is because there's one bread, verse 17. We who are many are one body. 
It's not just individually you and God. It's collectively we come together. We remember Jesus' body and blood and we partake and we fellowship with him and we're reminded of our forgiveness. We're reminded of our new identity as his people. We're reminded that he's coming back and we're going to have that feast with him again in the kingdom of God. We're reminded that we're his forever. And he's saying, when you're that united to me, you don't go to other things. You see it in verse 18, he even links it to the saints of the past. Verse 18, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participation, participants in the altar, fellowship. So he's saying all the ritual fellowship they did in the Old Testament, the Passover meal, they would come and they were sharing in the deliverance of God from death in Egypt. And so they would, by sharing in the Passover meal year after year or the other feasts, it was drawing them into God's deliverance. So he ties the, the celebrations of the past to the celebrations in the future. And he says, flee from worshiping anything else because first of all, you are united to Christ. And every time you take communion and every time you eat those elements, it's a reminder that you are his. You are forgiven. You are new. It's this deep reminder. So it starts with not what you're avoiding. It starts with who you are in Christ. Now let's get to this third point. The third reason you flee, the third point here is you flee so that you don't unite with demons. So this is where we get really into the meat of spiritual warfare. This is why the flee language is there. He's not fleeing because I don't want you to go to that temple or flee because, you know, it's a little bit risky there. He's saying, no, you're actually entering into contact with spiritual opposition. So let's take a look at what's really going on. Verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, no. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So what we've got to figure out here is what is this about? Okay, first let's just deal with this word demon. I think, especially right now, we're, uh, when I'm preaching this live, we're on the verge of Halloween. So everywhere you go in stores, they're popping up costumes and demons and scary looking creatures. And, and we have some, you know, movie images and cultural images of what we think a demon really means. And it's sinister and there's pitchforks and there's fire. The, the original word is actually pretty generic. It's a pretty generic word, demon. It really means a spiritual being. It's really very generic, the, the word it comes from. But every time it's used in Scripture, especially the New Testament, the context indicates it's an evil spiritual being. It's not, uh, it's not neutral. The word itself is actually quite neutral. The Greek word where we get demon is neutral for a spiritual being. But the context of the Scripture is that this is an evil spiritual being. It's negative. And so what we need to do especially in our day and age, I need to spend a little bit of time in the biblical worldview. Because our modern worldview, the culture that we find ourselves in, kind of has the idea that there's everything we see, there's everything we can test, there's everything we feel, and that's it. You get into the biblical worldview, there's everything we see, feel, taste, taste, touch on earth, but there's also an entire spiritual realm that is not only inhabited by God, 
and angels, but also evil spiritual beings. We get the word demon. This is the biblical worldview. So I'm going to show you a few passages. I'm going to kind of hit them quickly. Most of us are familiar with the idea of the divine rebel, given the name Satan. But there's a description of this rebellion in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. Here the idea of stars of God often means other heavenly or spiritual beings. So this one being says, I want to be above all of God's hosts. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, the far reaches of the pit. So this is, this is talking about the divine rebel, someone who said, I want to be above. I want to be like God. I want the glory. And God casts them down. And so we have the divine rebel. We have the one hostile to God. We often call him Satan, which is a title, means the adversary, the opposer. So we have that concept, and it's not just a single person. There are many spiritual beings that are opposed to God and also seek to have their own glory to defy Yahweh, the one true God, along with the divine rebel. And so they often are seeking worship. In, the, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I'm showing you another one. This is called the Song of Moses, where Moses is told to make the Israelites remember this song that's foretelling their future failure. That's what, and in it, it describes hostile spiritual beings who deceive. Look at this in Deuteronomy 32, 15. But Jeshurun, it's a nickname for Israel. He's saying, in the future, when I bless you, when I bring you in the land, they grew fat and kicked You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook the God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. It's the idea, as you prosper, you forgot that it was God who did it for you. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that have come recently who are fathers never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. So the whole idea here is that there is hostile spiritual beings who come and they play out their hostility to Yahweh by deceiving his people, by tempting them with other worship, by saying worship this image. And and what we're learning here from Paul is that behind these images and behind these idols and behind these temples are spiritual beings seeking to steal Yahweh's rightful worship, to deceive Yahweh's people, and they want their own glory. And so this is happening all through the scriptures from Adam and Eve to Israel. And now God's saying to the Corinthians, saying, hey, in your time it's going to be this way. Let me jump to a New Testament references about spiritual warfare, hostile spiritual beings. Here's one in 1 Timothy 4. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Hostile spiritual beings. Now notice how they'll do it. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So here's what he's saying. There's going to be spiritual warfare where people are going to be deceived by evil spiritual beings. But how will they be deceived? What does verse 2 say? Through liars. So basically, these evil spiritual beings are going to influence humans who will create lies to deceive people. And what did the lies look like? They looked like religious rules. Right? They'll say, oh, they'll come up with religions that have rules, forbidding marriage, abstinence, eat this food, don't eat this food. And so this is talking about in our day, in our time, the spiritual warfare manifests itself in world religions. Are there world religions today? Lots of them. And they have different rites and, and, and different things you do and you abstain from and when you do it. And it says those come from humans who have been influenced demonically. They lie and they create these religions. We have them all around us. Right? This is the roots that Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness have deceptive alterations of God's truth. Islam has deceptive alterations of God's truth. These world religions come, it's spiritual warfare. Some of it is overt. Some of it is overt witchcraft and evil. All right. So that's happening in our world that we're lied to and we're drawn in. This is a religion. This will help you. No, it's motivated by evil spiritual beings. Okay, one more in Colossians 3. And I want us to see the source of spiritual warfare here. Colossians 3. First, it actually starts talking about the same thing Paul's talking about here in chapter 10 to focus on Christ. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Again, that's what we're celebrating at the communion meal. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that wonderful? That's our real life. That's our real hope. But now look at verse 5. It switches. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's interesting. So we have evil spiritual beings influencing world religions through lies. And now we have covetousness, which is idolatry, which is worshiping a copy. And so this, I think, really starts to talk to our culture today. Covetous, the, the idea of desiring something you don't have. And it's not just, boy, you know, our car broke down, we need a new car. It's the idea where you make something an ultimate thing. That's what covetousness is rooted in the idea that I need that thing to be okay. And Paul says when we get focused on stuff that much, when we get focused on things or relationships that much, it actually ends up becoming idolatry, which means we're worshiping a copy of something. And it's actually, and that all roots in spiritual warfare. It's when he's saying, I need that house, not because I need a house, but because I need an identity, that I'm the kind of person that has that house, and I live in this neighborhood, and when I get in that neighborhood, then I'll be okay. That becomes idolatry. Saying, if I just had those group of friends, and to get those group of friends, I need to look this certain way, and so I'm going to put all this money into the certain way so I can get into that group, because when I get into group, then I'll be okay. And you're worshiping a copy. Because we know our real image, our real true self, 
who we really are, we're made in the image of God. We've been redeemed by God to be with him forever. And so all of our hope and all of our fulfillment comes from Christ. But when we look to another thing, a status, to say that will make me whole, it becomes idolatry. We're worshiping a copy instead of the creator. We're worshiping a thing. And what we find is that those things promise and then they enslave you. And this is really the root of the spiritual warfare. Here's, here's the concept that I think is really happening in our culture. Right now there's all this talk with the Facebook whistleblower who's just come out. And there's all this revealing of the algorithm. And this is the same thing that was in the movie The Social Dilemma. That these social media platforms have algorithms that basically know exactly how to keep you on their platform longer. So they can sell more advertising space. So they give you more and more hostile stuff and more and more salacious stuff to keep you on there longer. And they're talking about the evil of this algorithm. And here's where I think spiritual warfare enters our culture, our day today. We don't have the temple of Apollo in town that people are going to, but we have these social media platforms. And there's an algorithm for sure. But I also think spiritual forces of evil will enter into those moments. They will enter in and say, this is a moment where we can deceive, we can enslave, we can harm. And so right now, whatever the social media platform, whatever it is, they have these things that draw you in further. But I think this is when spiritual beings come alongside. And why do we have, you know, what are they saying? Uh, Instagram's coming out that it's harmful to teenage girls because it ruins their image of who they are. And so the longer they're on there with these images that look perfect, then I got to be like that and I can never be like that. It distorts their self. I think that's not just an algorithm problem, that spiritual beings come right inside, and what do they do? They begin to whisper in your ear, you will never look like that. You will never be good enough. Or until you look like that, and it drives in the the defeat and the discouragement that it can bring to you young ladies. I think that's not just algorithm, that's spiritual warfare. Or something, if I can just get to that status, if I can get to that level of influence, if I can get that many likes, and it's, it's this voice in your head saying, then you'll be okay. And it's offering you false hope, a false sense of self, a false sense of security. And I think those are moments in our culture where hostile spiritual forces that Old and New Testament we've just seen are very clear, are happening, enter in and they lie. And we have things happening based on social media where there's high rates of suicide and depression. Genocides have been started in other countries. That's not just a bad algorithm. That's an opportunity where spiritual forces of evil enter into earthly systems where we're worshiping a copy and they deceive. And what is it? What are they trying to do? Jesus tells us in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. He tells us, I'll give you a minute to go there. You want to mark this in your Bible. John chapter 10, verse 7. Look this one up, underline this one. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
This is really the bottom line of this whole thing. Paul's saying flee, flee from any kind of idolatry, any kind of false worship, any kind of thing in your culture. In their culture, there was actual temples with actual worship. In our culture, it's different religions. It's different places that promise you something. And what's behind it are these evil spiritual beings and what is their MO? To steal, to kill, and destroy. They are opposed to Yahweh. They are opposed to the one true God. They are opposed to the work of Christ. They want to harm humanity. They, are, they want glory and they can't have it. They are in rebellion against God and it plays out on earth and their goal is to harm us and to harm you. And so Paul is not just saying uh, run away from this thing that might be neutral. He's saying flee from these copies, these counterfeit worships, the deceptions that are all around us because their goal is to harm you. Their goal is to addict you. Their goal is to, to enslave you. Their goal is to destroy you. And Jesus said, I came that you may have life. And so that's the main point today. Flee from everything that takes your heart from Christ. See, the, the fake, the copy, it promises you something. If you get this, then you'll be okay. Then you'll feel whole. Then you'll be complete. Then you'll have an identity. Then you'll be something. So it asks everything of you, and in the end, it enslaves you and ruins you. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the opposite. He said, I am going to give myself up for you. I'm going to give myself over to death on your behalf to free you. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us the thing we can never get on our own. We can never get through a copy. We can never get through self-seeking. He gave himself up so that we could have life. And so Paul's warning and the Lord Jesus' warning, flee from these things in our culture that are not neutral. Flee from anything that's saying, if I have that, if I have an ultimate thing, then, then I'll be okay. I want us to flee from those things and realize who we are in Christ. I want to look at this passage in John 6 and realize what's in front of us. And I want you to think about this in the concept of that participation in communion. John six fifty three. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. See, Jesus gave us this spiritual meal that we're, we're taking little wafers and cups in this room, whatever you're taking at home. But he's saying you are feeding on the one source of life, the true bread that comes from heaven. The true one that cares about you into eternity. And Paul's saying we need to we need to flee from anything that would take our heart from that. And that it's not neutral. We are in a hostile spiritual environment. And so this today could be a warning for you. It, it could be that you really need to reevaluate your time in social media spaces. Is it causing you despair? Is it causing you depression? Is it causing you anger? 
those are not leading you closer to Christ. Maybe you need to really evaluate what is the things you're looking to that if you think if I have those things, that will make me whole and realize that's actually not Christ. Instead, he says, I want you to look back to the work of Jesus as you take this cup, as you eat this bread and realize this is true life, following Jesus, looking to him for our identity, looking to him for our future, looking to him for our purpose. It's in Jesus. And so let this be a moment. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And then the worship team's going to come lead you in a song. And during that song, I want you to make it be a song of either just overwhelming thanksgiving to the Lord, a time of confession to the Lord where you say, I've been looking to this and this and this, and I realize how risky it is. And you just confess and come back. Maybe it's a time where you say, God, show me my heart. What am I looking to? What am I looking to to be an ultimate thing that's just a copy? Where am I putting myself at risk? Ask him to reveal. And then I want us to partake today of communion with a sense of overwhelming joy that you realize that Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, paid it all for you so that you could be forever known by him, loved by him, healed by him, have purpose, have an eternity with him, and anything else is a liar. And we want to worship him in that. So let me pray, and then the worship team's going to come. Use the first song as a prayer and prep, and then Pastor Mark will give you instructions to take the bread and the cup, and we'll together take it, and then just worship him like crazy, knowing we're united to Christ who's got us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for this fellowship meal. The elements are teeny that we have, but they remind us of the overwhelming work you have done. Let our hearts be united to you. Let them be filled in you. Let us have complete hope in you. Lord, draw any right now who are in danger, who are flirting with spiritual beliefs, who are flirting with things that are motivated by hostility and evil that would enslave and hurt them. Or free us from those things. Let our heart be completely united to you. And we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.